0: welcome to the show today's episode is a first for top floor because we have not one but two fascinating guests the co-hosts of alex and annie the real women of vacation rentals alex and annie have a combined 35 years in the vacation rental business alex huesner is chief marketing officer at condo world and chair the board of directors of the Myrtle Beach Area Chamber of Commerce and Convention and Visitors Bureau. As you might expect, she lives in Myrtle Beach. Annie Holcomb is vice president of business development at Lexicon Travel Technologies. And she lives in my hometown of Panama City, Florida. I'm a fan of Alex and Annie, the show as well as Alex and Annie, the people. And I'm fascinated to learn more from them about the big topics in vacation rentals. Today, we're going to cover tech, terminology, and travel preferences. But before we jump in, we have to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for burning questions from hospitality professionals. If you'd like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. I'm so excited about today's question because it was submitted by none other than Kat Meek, my sister. So Kat was my guest in episode one of Top Floor. And she is a huge fan of your show. She listens every week, the minute the show drops. And when she found out that I was interviewing you, she wanted me to ask you a question. She owns 5 properties that are a mix of short and long-term rentals. And she wants your opinion about whether or not she needs to form an LLC for the business. I understand that you're not lawyer. She's not looking for legal advice. But what have you observed in your years in the industry?
2: Yeah, she absolutely needs to form an LLC for it. Does she already rent them out? Yes. No. Okay. Yeah, I'm surprised that she hasn't done that already. <laughs> right, to be honest, um, I, I don't. It probably depends on the state that you're in, but I think in South Carolina, you're required to do that. It's certainly we encourage that uh, just from, from a legal perspective, if something were to happen at the property, the guests were to get hurt or something, you certainly wouldn't want them coming after you personally.
0: All right, Catherine, there's your answer. (laughs) You need to start an LLC as soon as
2: possible. (laughs) So how did the two of you meet? Well, let's see. So it actually it goes back to we met. I would say it was probably twenty seventeen, and just through- I thought you were
0: going to say twenty years ago. I'm like, oh, when you are no. in middle school, what are you talking <laughs> got, about? No, not
2: that long <laughs> ago. It feels like it. I mean, we've um, we've we've made up for a lot of lost time. I will say that we talked just about. Every day, so we actually we met through uh, through work. Um, you know, at Condo World, we were using a couple of different services that Annie's companies had had offered, and we met at um, a conference, and then just stayed in touch through our work relationships, and just built a great friendship. And we, you know, just started texting on the side of our work business, and just really enjoyed chatting and, and catching up, and that flowered into a great, you know, great long term friendship, and now into a business relationship. So.
0: So Annie, what was the impetus behind starting your show?
1: You know, I I joke about it with people is that all good ideas come after 2 glasses of wine. And so the one thing that Alex and I love is to have a good glass of wine and have a good chat. And because (laughs) we don't live in the same town, a lot of our chats were via text. And so one weekend, we were just talking about various things. And we're like, Oh, we should start a podcast. And then it was like, Oh, well, I have my Bitmoji here. And that was how the Bitmoji came to be. And it just turned into this joking. So our logo is is a Bitmoji of the 2 of us. And it just became a joke that went into like people going, Are you serious about this? And then Alex, she is a get out there and do it. And I'm kind of, I got to like be pushed. And so mm-hmm. for my birthday a year ago, she was going to vacation in Mexico and she decided as she was entering the, <laughs> another country, she was going to put it out on social media. Happy birthday <laughs> to my partner and put our, this bit out there. And Are you so serious? It was, yes, absolutely. Yes, it was yes. a,
2: I got up and like <laughs> I
1: had all these messages and it was just like, we keep talking about it. I was like, we let the internet on fire because it was uh, every social that you could, you know, that you're part of. And so we, at that point, we knew we had something. We went to- <laughs> she forced her hand. I <laughs> love totally that. Did that. I'll be at the she pool totally with did. my
2: margarita, but Annie will get this in about two hours on her birthday. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I woke
1: up and I was like, happy birthday, I think.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, my gosh.
1: Gosh. We just knew we had something at that point because people were so intrigued by it. And I think to kind of your comment about there's three of us, three women, there weren't, a, there weren't any We found another podcast that we could talk about that story, but there weren't women doing it. It was like one woman or a woman and a man or just men, but there weren't two women doing the podcast in our industry. So it just felt right. I know you've gotten to do some really cool things and have more planned coming
0: up as a result of the show. I feel the same way. I think that's one of the beautiful and shocking byproducts of, of having a podcast is all this crazy stuff you get invited to do. Absolutely. Can you tell us about some of the conference or other experiences that you've had?
2: Yeah, so the first conference that we got to attend together with the podcast having already started was the women's conference in New Orleans last uh, December. And we actually had the opportunity to host a session there and it was a women's conference, but we were hosting a session with a panel of men from the OTA, it's called got to go And we had them in the hot seat and we got to ask them questions about how they were building their platform. And it was really, it was a really cool panel. It was very collaborative. We had the audience asking them questions and it was just, it was, it was a lot of fun to do that together. And that was, that was very much at that point out of our comfort zones. Neither of us had, had hosted a panel like that at at an event. So that was the start to it. And then we've been to, I believe, two other events together and we're about to go to a third next week.
1: Annie, tell us about the one next week. (laughs) (laughs) So next week is actually... um, It's an annual one. And it's put on by the same person that puts on the women's conference that we're at. It's a company called VRM Intel. And this one is their data and revenue management... Short call it DARM for short. And so I actually got asked to do a panel on again the sexiest topic nobody's talking about was insurance in the industry. <laughs> um, and then um, the lady put it on who's putting it on reached out and said, You know, I've got another panel. You know, would you do it? And I was like, I think Alex and I should do this together. Like it would be really great. And she was like, Oh, that's a great idea. So now <laughs> it became Alex and Annie is doing this panel. And it, and it turns out it's another OTA group. So we we're interviewing
2: five, is it four? Five yeah, OTAs? Which, is, which is perfect because yeah. what Annie does, she's in channel management. So she works with the OTAs condo world. We're a vacation rental property management business, but we are also an OTA ourselves. And we also are a channel manager for some of our partners. So it's, it was the perfect panel. The insurance is a little bit outside of our Bailey, yeah. mic, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> they just <laughs> knew that make it would be charming enough to make it interesting. <laughs> We've talked before about the fact that there are still people in the hotel business that don't believe Short-term rentals, vacation rentals attract the same guests as hotels. So I'm going to ask you these questions to provide anecdotal evidence that that is incorrect. (laughs) When you travel, do you either always stay at a hotel or always stay at a short-term rental?
1: Annie, you go first. Neither. It's it's either... It depends on the situation. Depends on where I'm traveling. My husband, I just went to St. Augustine last weekend. We rented a little one-bedroom cottage vacation rental um, because the hotels were too expensive. Like The <laughs> hotels were crazy pricey. Um, and, and I got more amenities with the house. I got my own beautiful big bathroom and living room and full kitchen for less price than staying in a hotel that had a microwave and a coffee maker.
0: And Alex, what about you? Do you always stay in one or the other?
2: So I normally always stay in a hotel. I am very much a hotel gal. I like a nice hotel bar. I like room service. I like my room being cleaned every day. But here's the caveat. So last weekend, Annie was in St. Augustine and I was in Gatlinburg. And my husband and I, it was just the two of us. And we got a cabin and This sounds crazy. We're the real one of vacation rentals, but I don't stay in them often. We had the best time in that cabin. And Mm -hmm. I think normally when I pick a hotel, it's because since it's just the two of us, I don't think it's necessary to have a a big vacation rental. But I think like Annie said, it just depends on the trip. I totally agree
0: with you, Alex. I'm exactly the same way. It just depends. It depends on the trip. It depends on what we have planned. It depends on the price to your point, Annie. I mean, all of those things. So... 100% 100% agree. Until I started listening to your show and reading your social media posts, I truly did not understand that there was any controversy about calling short-term rentals, vacation rentals, timeshares, condo resorts, every calling everything in an Airbnb. I, like, I just think that gets used as shorthand a lot for mm-hmm. all kinds of different types of lodging. So I want to level set, if we can, what those terms mean, what the preferences are, and how we're going to say them in our conversation. And then correct me if I get it wrong as we go. (laughs) So what's the difference between short-term
2: rental and vacation rental? I think it mostly just comes down to a short-term rental can be in any location. So typically that's used more in like an urban setting um, versus a vacation rental is something where people are going to a vacation destination staying for a longer time period. Um, a short-term rental can be in, in anywhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a vacation spot.
0: Yeah. So would it be fair to say that Vacation rentals are short-term rentals.
2: Yes, but yeah, all yeah. short-term rentals are not vacation rentals. Correct. Yep, that's perfect. Yeah, okay, you, you nailed it. They're they're all they're all owned by privately you know private homeowners. That's one commonality that they have. So, but yeah, you said it perfectly.
0: Why is it a problem to call them all
2: Airbnbs? Because (laughs) Airbnb (laughs) has become the Kleenex of our industry and vacation rental companies have been around for decades. I mean, they're, you know, vacation rentals just as an industry has been around for uh, since the early early 1900s I mean in Europe this is a very common industry this isn't anything new at all but even what we do we've been servicing guests for a very very long time Airbnb is only something that's come on and has been in existence and known about really since about 2009 and that was only barely really just in the last decade but where there's an issue there is that people are Calling everything that is a short term rental, vacational, and Airbnb and grouping us together in a way that there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of legal issues with Airbnbs. There's a lot of things that are not being done correctly and above board that are not that way with the professionally managed vacation rental companies that we have standards. Airbnb is a channel, but it is not a product or a category.
0: Interesting. It's almost like if you were to call all hotel rooms Expedias. Ugh. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. yeah I'm staying of, at an Expedia. Yeah. Be like, exactly. no. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the legal or, I don't know, policy issues that come up with people who were newer and, and less, I don't know if professional is the right word. I'm not trying to <laughs> put us in yeah. a corner of mouthing yeah. anyone, but do you know what I mean? What are some yeah. of the differences that make it important
1: to make that distinction? Registration is the biggest issue that I think we face as municipalities, is that people put their unit, they they can put it on Airbnb and they can rent it that way, but they're not necessarily collecting the taxes or remitting the taxes. And so destinations like Martle Beach or Panama City Beach, the way that we fund marketing and fund a lot of the things that happen in the market are through those taxes the, the the bed taxes if you will and the tourism taxes and so when the people aren't being good stewards of the business that they're trying to run and they're not reporting their taxes it's just like you not paying your income taxes if millions of people do this and don't pay taxes that's a lot of money that that smaller communities are missing out on so i think that's our biggest challenge and then just to go through safety measures they're not they're not looking at having you know a, fire safety mechanisms, you know, uh, carbon monoxide, those type of things that professionally run businesses are going to make sure they're they're there for the guest safety. An individual owner, a lot of times, doesn't know that they need this and then is not thinking about it. But then there are some bad apples that just flatly know they don't need to do it, but they don't want to go to the expense.
0: That's interesting. And that fire safety piece is, I think, one of the very first Um, things that the very powerful and well-funded hotel lobby went after when vacation rentals and short-term rentals started to get a lot of press and publicity in the probably around 2010, give or take. No, I understand they've been around for a lot longer than that, but it was a hot topic at that point. So there may be something to be said for, you know, pay your taxes and get a fire extinguisher Because otherwise, hotels are coming for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that rental arbitrage is another hot topic in the short-term rental and vacation rental space right now. Can you talk about what that is and maybe give a couple
2: of thoughts about what your perspective on it is? So those companies had a lot of problems obviously in the pandemic because essentially what it is is a company will lease out a whole building and then sublease all the units so they don't actually own any of it but in covid when there was no money coming in obviously they couldn't you know retain their master lease they couldn't pay that so that th- a lot of them just went completely belly up it's becoming more of a thing again now now that you know the economy is back and and people are are doing it in smaller Versions of what had been attempted by you know Saunders and um, Stay Alfred. That's two of them. But I, I we've we've talked to a lot of people about this, and I think where the industry is looking is that it can be successful on a local level. That it's not necessarily something that can be scaled, uh, but it, it could potentially be be successful at a local level. I think it does pose that poses more of a threat for hotels, you know, certainly that with it, because these are mostly in urban markets. So they are more direct competitors to you that they are one, they're very much revenue managing. I mean they are and they're doing things professionally. I mean, these aren't people that are not paying taxes and not being professional. They're doing, they're running it like a hotel. Um, but they are introducing a different level of accommodations that would be definitely more similar with the hotel product.
0: So that's interesting. I was thinking about it from the perspective of an individual. Like, Mm -hmm. I have definitely stayed at a short term rental that an individual rented an apartment and then was putting it out on the channels to sell to, you know, leisure travelers or whatever. I wasn't thinking about it being the same as a Sonder, sort of a large format rental arbitrage situation. That's a confusing yeah. business model to me because it's almost yeah. they're they're masquerading as a hotel but then yeah. their valuation is based on the fact that they're a tech company. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a murky world.
2: Yeah, and that we've seen that with WeWork, you know, that's probably the best example that they tried to value themselves as a tech company, but really they were a real estate company, and it's it very similar. I mean, they were doing that with office spaces. So, you know, any of these companies, they need the the market needs to be valuing them as hospitality real estate companies, not as tech companies. So, I, I think the the verdict is still out as to the long term success of that model, whether on a local level or a bigger level. I, I'm just, I'm still hesitant to say it's a good model
1: interesting yeah i think that um i think that that the arbitrage is dangerous and you look at what's happening in some of the cities and i've seen some stories in new york city where people have gone in and they've taken over a building or they've taken over a floor and they've promised the you know the the um owner of the building that they're going to get a certain amount of rent and what ends up happening is they're raising the rent in the building to accommodate What they think they should be getting and that's where this conversation of overpriced rental valuations comes into play and not having enough affordable housing that's a huge problem in a lot of big cities but there are to your point there are individuals i talk to people on linkedin that are individuals that are trying to do this one, two units in, in various markets around the country. And again, if, you don't, if you're don't, you not in the market, you don't really know how the market's going to react from day to day. So you have to be very cautious of that. But again, if you're going in and saying to somebody, okay, you might be renting this long-term, but short-term rental, I can get you more money, then they pull it off the market. And all of a sudden, this house in a family neighborhood right by the elementary school that was running for $2,000 a month is now going for $4,000 a month, and a family can't afford that. And so it's just kind of a, it's a domino effect. And it goes back to, there are people coming into the space without the tools or the knowledge or the access to information that are causing a lot of friction in municipalities that are affecting the professional side of things through the regulations that are being enacted either preemptively or just because people don't understand how the business needs to run. Well, and it can't be a long-term play. It has to only be a money grab, right? Because ultimately,
0: you know, pricing stays where it is and you can't arbitrage anything. Oh, that's so interesting. I know that you're both very tech savvy. Speaking of uh, evaluating companies based Mm -hmm. on their technology versus on hospitality. Um, You talk to a lot of tech company CEOs on your show. How do you think the vacation rental and short-term rental industry compares to the hotel business in terms of tech adoption and innovation?
1: We just talked about this this morning, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And the vacation rental industry seven, eight years ago would have been, oh, dark ages. But yeah. through COVID and through the time that everybody was able to sit back and say, like, let's really look at our tech stack, I would say that vacation rentals is years ahead of most of the hotel mm-hmm. technology in the space. Why do you think that is? Like, wh- where do you think the value proposition lies
0: that people are willing to invest in that? You know, I think. Uh, Sorry to give a speech, but I think hotel companies have a lot of sunk cost in their tech stack. So it's very hard to make the argument to the various stakeholders Mm -hmm. that it's time to innovate.
2: What what do you think is
0: the value prop on the vacation rental side?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on. And I've seen it in our market here. We have a lot of properties that they are condo resorts, um, but they are they're really run like hotels. They have a front desk, they have on-site F and B. And that that is a different model than vacation rentals, like we are, where we are off-site, you know, we're not the HOA. Um, so they're kind of in, they sit in the middle there and I've seen firsthand a lot of these properties that they are, you know, they're they're individually owned units too. I mean, they have homeowners, but they have old hotel-based software that is just so archaic and it doesn't connect to any of the vacation rental channels that... I mean, Airbnb is renting, is, is putting hotels on there. I mean, they're putting everything on there because, and the hotels that are working with them well know that that's where people are going to book accommodations now. So you want to be on these vacation rental channels, if it makes sense. But they, a lot of these properties, their hands have been tied by that tech and it's it's too bad, but it, it definitely the decision making process it has to go through a lot more rigorous uh, ties and and stakeholders to get anything to change. But with what vacation rentals have developed, I, th- I think that's more in the last few years because of COVID. There's been such an emphasis and demand for for the product that that's where you know these tech companies have seen. Gosh, this is such a it used to be such a mom and pop you know, tech strung together type of a situation that they they saw a huge opportunity to come in, low barrier to entry to come in and rebuild some really good systems. And for new operators getting into the space, they've been able to start with top of the line tech. I think we've come a long way and it's, you go to the vendor hall at any of these events that we go to and you just be blown away. I mean, the level of knowledge walking around there, it's like Silicon Valley, literally.
0: <laughs> Oh hi, we are going to take a quick break here. When we return, Alex and Annie tell us what hotels and vacation rentals can learn from each other, why it's important to go at it boldly, and how a reservation snafu in a condo that sleeps 16 is way worse than one in a hotel's king room. Be right back. Top Floor is supported by Sightminder. In an online world that never sleeps, you can't afford to be off, ever. So how do you keep rooms full, guests raving, costs down, and staff happy? SiteMinder is the world's leading hotel commerce platform that provides hoteliers like you with the tools you need to sell, market, manage, and grow your business, all from a single dashboard. It's technology without the need to be super techie, intelligence without the detective work, and simplicity without leaving anything out. To learn more about how SiteMinder can help your hotel grow online, visit siteminder.com forward slash top floor. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from every episode of Top Floor with a couple of really specific, practical, tangible tips to either try in their businesses or in their personal lives. What are a couple of things that the hotel business can learn from the vacation rental business?
1: The challenge with hotels is that you have hotels... Resorts that have lots of amenities so they can create a full guest experience. Vacation rentals have always been, I say always, have generally been in a space where they don't have the amenities at the property to create it, an experience. So they're very in tune with working with destination marketing organizations, working with the local community to create. A, a full experience. And so going back to the tech, we have good technology to help us tap into guest experience um, opportunities. So I think that hotels can learn from vacation rentals in that guests aren't coming to stay in your hotel room. Okay. What about
0: what's
2: something that the vacation rental industry can learn from hotels? I think there's a lot that we can learn from how hotels operate and, you know, just really bring that level of standards and professionalism to our guests. And I think guests, they want and expect that more now. Uh, And we've had so many more people that have crossed over that had never tried vacation rentals until... COVID in the last couple of years that if you're somebody kind of like me that is used to staying in a hotel and now you stay in a vacation rental, like you, your standards are very high. And that was one thing that I was, you know, obviously I read all the reviews before I stayed in that cabin last weekend, but when we walked in, I was just so happy that it smelled so nice. And like, it it gave me a lot of those (laughs) Mm -hmm. like hotel kind of feels that like, it just felt just absolutely sparkling clean.
0: Okay. I'm going to shift gears and ask some questions specifically about your podcast versus your industry. Mm-hmm. What is something that you've changed your mind about as a result of an interview that you've had or a guest you've had on your show?
1: We've had a couple of people... And Alex will know who I'm talking about. But like, <laughs> I just... That I was just... I had a very strong opinion about the way that they represented themselves in the industry and their approach to talking to and at people so very hesitant about engaging with that person on what I deemed as my new comfort zone was Mm -hmm. the podcast. Um, After having that conversation and me understanding that they weren't coming from a place to put me down. They were coming from a place of very uh, uh, well-based knowledge and experience. And maybe their delivery was a little harder than I tend to like. But I found commonality with that person. And it made me realize that I, I need to be more open to who we can have on and who we can talk to. And that you can always find common ground with somebody, even if... And especially given the times that we're in now, politically, religiously, whatever, you know, conversation is, people are very um, implanted in the their their stance on things. But you can find commonality by just being open-minded and being two open ears. You know, there's a reason you got two ears and one mouth. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I second that 100%. And I had a, a graphic that I or a little meme that I found this morning and it speaks exactly to what Annie said that it, it says, go at it boldly and you'll find unexpected forces closing around you and coming to your aid. And that is in oh, reference wow. to what Annie's talking about because there, you know, there's been a guest, one, maybe two, maybe one that's that that fits into that <laughs> bucket that we didn't we maybe really... <laughs> maybe it was me. No, 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 no. We, no. We we just we weren't sure about them and, and how the episode was gonna go. And then turns out that this person has become an incredible supporter of, of us in the show and has opened up a lot of new opportunities for us. And, um, yeah. I, you just, you have to, you have to put yourself out there. I think that's the biggest thing that we've learned from not only doing the podcast, but from our guests. And I, I think I, there's, I don't think that there's been anything that fundamentally I feel completely different about. I just think I've yeah. learned so much from the guests that we've had I felt exactly the same way. I have learned so much from the guests on the show, yeah.
0: including the two of you. Oh,
1: thank, thank you. you. <laughs> so
0: here's another podcasting question. And because I work for myself and own my own business, this never came up for me before, but I have been asked about this so many times since I started this show. So how did you or did you pitch your podcast to your employers like did you have to go to the boss and say hey i'm going to do this i'm talking about our our industry here or was it like <laughs> Happy birthday, Annie. We're starting a podcast <laughs> Boss? Yeah, well, we'll tell yeah. you about it later. Like, how did that work? And do you have any advice for people who want to be content creators who are maybe a little nervous about how that will play out at work?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's it, what we're doing it, it it takes it takes a lot of guts to do. And I, I mean, we I mean, you too, Susan. I mean, it's it's not easy to, get yourself comfortable to be on a mic and on camera and with people you don't know. and um I, I we see a lot or I see a lot in my business dealings that there's a lot of people that they don't even feel comfortable raising their hands in meetings. So, and because they don't know how they're going to per- be perceived by the people that they work with or their boss or they don't want to say the wrong thing about their company and sometimes they won't even post on social media on LinkedIn because they don't want to say the wrong thing. And yeah, that's definitely something that we hope to be able to help people have the courage to say, you know, just, try it do it we're not promoting our companies we are talking about our experience within the industry and that builds credibility for both of us when we do but we're not on there trying to sell things specifically but i think you need to have that you need to understand what your goal is of the show and I, you know just talk to your boss and just just maybe give some examples of other shows that are similar that to what you're looking at doing and i mean ultimately People do business with those they know, like, and trust. And if you build up that trust with people, it's a lot easier to get them to do any kind of business with you. So and I think that's one thing that podcasting has, has, is gives people is it just that opportunity to get to know them before they engage in a business relationship. So we've certainly seen for our own benefits, for our own co- companies we work for, as well as our personal brands, a, you know, a huge uplift from doing it.
0: So it's the time in the show when we look into our crystal balls, predict the future, forecast everything that's going to happen in all of our industries, and then play it back a year from now and Mm -hmm. see how right or wrong we are.
2: I know that
0: you, like me, are coming up on the year anniversary of your show. Do you have anything exciting or special planned that I can copy because I have no ideas for myself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have one big announcement. Uh, for the upcoming event that we have in uh, November, uh, October uh, for VRMA international. That's our big conference uh, in Vegas. We are going to be hosting mm-hmm. the red carpet for a TV premiere <laughs> of a TV show called home runners. That is about mm-hmm. Steve Milo and his company V trips. And we were asked to be the official podcast to cover that event. Kind of like Joan and Melissa, we're going to be d- dressed in sequence <laughs> am Joan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. She, she, uh, she passed She's away, funny. right? <laughs> that's true. Oh, God. That's true. Yeah, no, that's you're, true. you're, we're, we're our own version, but we're going to be interviewing everybody as they come down the red carpet. We're going to make it fun. We're going to ask, you know, like, so what are you wearing? But then also ask for their take on the event and what they think about the TV show and, and all those types of things. So that's going to be a lot of fun. There's like 3000 people that go to this event. So that's going to be, I think a, a big uh, visibility boost for us, but
0: Yes. Oh, maybe this is the one my sister and I should go to. But yes. when you ask, who yes. am I wearing? And I say, <laughs> TJ
2: Maxx. No, you should. That, that way cool. you should. Yeah, That's, we're, that's the answer. Uh, we're what are you wearing? J Crew. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. We want people yeah. to say funny things. Okay. We, uh, that's awesome. Have,
1: yeah. One other thing that we're doing, and, and it's something that Alex and I have been very firm on from the very beginning is that we didn't want to just be vacation rentals. So one of our um, previous guests who's someone you should completely have on your show, Jennifer Barbie, she has a company called Destination Innovate. And she's been brainstorming this. She's talked to me about it several times over the years that she wants to do these small market uh, conversations, these little, little events that can showcase smaller destinations and help these ones that don't have big budgets understand how they can market and how they can be relevant in the space. And we're they're bringing vacation rentals into the topic because through COVID, it, it, people saw that vacation rentals were very important to keep markets alive where the hotels had to shut down. Um, so Alex and I are going to be kind of the center stage in our lunch entertainment, if you will, for that conference in November that's going to take place in Louisiana. Uh, so Ruskin, Louisiana, I believe is at the town, but they're looking to replicate it around the country. But we're going over to like the non-traditional... It, for us, non traditional lodging, which is more of the hotel lodging, (laughs) but destination marketing side of the the conversation. So really excited about that.
0: Oh, that's cool. That sounds like an interesting event.
1: I'll have to get you to introduce me to her. Absolutely.
0: All right. Any predictions for the future of lodging? Here, I'm curious if you think vacation rentals will become more like hotels?
2: hotels will become more like vacation rentals or something completely different from that? I think some are right in the middle, really. I mean, yeah, I think think vacation rentals are going to continue to raise the bar on the standards and professionalization. So it's going to be more like a hotel experience. And I think hotels are going to start you know, kind of moving into offering larger accommodations if they can, and/or partnering with vacation rentals. We've seen this obviously Marriott's, home and villas. Uh, Annie works closely with that team. You know, they've partnered with vacation rental companies across the country because they know they don't have those properties and they don't necessarily want to go into that side of things, but they want to be able to offer them to their bonvoy guests, which makes a lot of sense. Even if we go into a recession next year people are always going to take a vacation and they might not vacation as long. They might not go as many times, but they are going to take a vacation. So that's, that's the good thing about the industry that we all work in and we have to adapt, uh, you know, to what that, the market looks like, but I think there's just going to continue be continued demand and innovation and it's good for all accommodations together.
1: I would second that. And I would also say that my big prediction is that, um, the vacation rentals, will get a lobby position as strong as the hotel lobby. Yeah. And that yeah. instead of being hotels saying, shut them down or vacation rentals saying, why don't you like us? That we're going to have a voice together mm-hmm. and that we will do things together. And that when you talk about the lodging association, it will be all lodging, not just hotels. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay, folks. Before we tell Alex and Annie goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told.
2: Going
0: down. Alex, I know you're going to take the reins on this one. What is a story you would
2: only tell on the loading dock? So, this happened when this was probably maybe a year or so into when I was working at Condo World. This is around 2009, 2010. And our our technology has improved since then. But basically, what happened was we had a, a unit that came to us that was on another rental program, and the owner moved it to our program. And typically, when that happens, if you're the company that's losing the unit, you have to move those guests into another property. And they did that for all the reservations except for one, I guess. And so we got that unit and we had it booked it was fourth of july week and our guests came to our office and they got the keys from our office and they went on checked into the four-bedroom condos there's about 16 people there they checked in they went down you can see where this is going they went down at the beach they're having fun uh they forgot to move a reservation at the other company and they still had the keys to that unit for some reason and I don't know what let them check them in because they, I mean this is this is back when this was definitely the mom and pop. <laughs> some, they some, people, an some people on Excel spreadsheet. That's X, why. Some people were still taking, <laughs> were still keeping track of things and notebooks back then. It's, God, it wasn't that long ago. But so this this family shows up to check in. They gave them the keys. They go to the condo. They see a bunch of stuff, luggage in the condo, but they think it's their other part of the family that just hasn't arrived yet. So they all go down to the beach and they're waiting, hanging out. And, you know, probably about five o'clock later that afternoon, everybody converges in the condo together. (laughs) And er apparently our maintenance guy had been on the hallway and that's how we found out everybody was just screaming. didn't know who, th- who these people were and what they were doing in the bathroom. <laughs> and it was just a complete disaster. But so like with that <laughs> many people in one, yeah. year, like it's different if it's a hotel room or, yeah. or two and people, so they, they all came back to our office. And so now, I mean, they don't, cause they don't know who's in the right, who's in the wrong. So we helped out the other family. We were able to find them somewhere else to stay, but it, it, everybody was laughing by the end of the day, but it was just one of those complete uh, miss hits, <laughs> you could oh say. My
0: God, that is so awesome. Well, Alex Huesner and Annie Holcomb, thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners got a lot out of our conversation today, and I thoroughly enjoyed riding up to the top floor. Thank you for having thank us. You.
2: <laughs> we had a great, great time.
0: Thanks so much for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 48. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen.
1: Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.